4: Honey, you need DayQuil Severe Honey.
3: DayQuil Severe Honey
5: gives you powerful cold and flu symptom relief with a honey-licious taste. Because life doesn't stop for a cold. Okay, I'm ready to go.
0: <coughs> now I'm getting a cold.
5: Honey. Try DayQuil Severe Honey for powerful cold and flu relief. DayQuil Severe with honey flavor. The daytime coughing, aching, stuffy head fever. Honey-licious. Power through your day. Medicine. Use as
2: directed. Keep out of reach, of children. Progressive asks, what do an escaped leopard? We're
4: live from the zoo where a leopard has escaped.
2: A growling stomach, an uneaten tuna sandwich, and a backdoor doggy door have in common? They can lead to an unexpected kitchen renovation.
4: Yeah, hi. Is this the zoo? Your leopard is in my kitchen.
2: Bundle your home and auto with Progressive for great savings and round-the-clock protection. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Not available in all states or situations.
6: Hey, sports fans. This is Jay Gaddis from James Gaddis Jewelers. Reminding you that Valentine's Day is almost here and there is no substitute for beautiful jewelry. We have a great selection of designer lines, estate and vintage items, and gold and silver jewelry to fit any budget and complement any style. Give the gift of diamonds, the universal symbol of eternal love, and make this Valentine's Day one she will never forget. Located near the corner of Hall on Poplar Avenue in East Memphis, James Gaddis Jewelers,
2: your Valentine's Day jeweler. Hi, I'm Henry Winkler. My eyes are very important to me. My eyes connect me with things I love. I loved my late father-in-law dearly. He always lit up a room, but his vision dimmed with age. He had age-related macular degeneration, or AMD. And since partnering with the I've learned there's an advanced form of the disease called geographic atrophy, or GA. His struggle with vision loss made me want to help others know about GA's warning signs. For some, straight lines seem wavy. That's
7: gawon'twait.com. Valentine's is coming. Hey, it's Eric Hasseltine. Are you looking for the most thoughtful, most romantic gift for the one you love this Valentine's? I've got two words for you. Genesis diamonds. Maybe it's a simple pendant or an exquisite one-of-a-kind designer ring. Genesis can help you pick out the most memorable and special piece of jewelry for the occasion. And to make it even sweeter, now till Valentine's Day, whether you spend $199 or $199,000, Genesis will give you some chocolates, fresh flowers, and dinner out at no charge. This is a great deal, guys. It's a one-stop, ultimate Valentine's experience. When you buy any piece of beautiful jewelry, they will give you some beautiful flowers, some yummy chocolates, and a gift card for dinner at Iris Restaurant. So stop wasting time. Get to Genesis Diamonds. They've got a spectacular collection of memorable romantic gifts from $199 to $199,000. And right now, they're going to throw in chocolates, flowers, and dinner out at no extra charge. Happy Valentine's Day for Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions.
4: Andy Wise here. Disaster restoration. Fire damage, water damage, storm damage. You think restoring property, right? No, it's about restoring people. And no one does that better than Service Master by Cornerstone. Family-owned, Memphis-based Service Master by Cornerstone won Franchise of the Year for how it saves businesses and restores families. And now it's expanded services to Jackson, Tennessee and DeSoto County. Make the wise choice for disaster cleanup that's in the people building business service master by cornerstone 901 respond
2: it's 2 p.m in memphis giannato and jeffrey time get off the fence live on memphis's sports station 92.9 fm espn
8: welcome welcome welcome
9: (laughs) to the giannato and jeffrey show we are coming to you live from Memphis, Tennessee. My name is Jeffrey Wright. You can follow me on Twitter on X at JWright929 ESPN. Dennis Fuller's producing the program for us. Let's set up what we got coming up on the program today. We'll start off talking about the Memphis Tigers. And we don't normally do this much on this show, but if you want to call in and talk about the Tigers, we invite you to do so. If you want to call in, 901-445-0929. If you want to talk about the Tigers, even if y'all don't want to talk about it, we're going to talk about it. Then coming up here in about 35 minutes or so, Eric Hasletine is going to join the program. We got the news today. of We knew yesterday that Mark Gasol was indeed retiring. We knew that at some point, The Grizzlies were going to be retiring Marc Gasol's uniform or jersey, however you want to say it. We found out today it will be April 6th, Saturday, April 6th, against the 76ers. That is when the Grizzlies will honor Marc Gasol and retire his uniform. 305, we'll get into the list. We have now filled every head coaching vacancy in the NFL. Dan Quinn becomes the head coach for the Washington Commanders. We'll get into all of that. On the list at about 3.05, that Jason Smith's going to join the program at 3.30. We probably know what we'll all be discussing. Grizzlies taking on the Cavs tonight, 6.30 for pregame. Tip-off with Eric will be at 7 o'clock. I saw earlier today that the Grizzlies were going to be 8-point underdogs. I've not seen if the line has moved too much. That that seemed about right, considering where both teams currently are roster-wise. So we'll talk about all that with Eric. But we'll start off talking about you. The Grizzlies, or bigger beg your pardon, the Tigers, fall last night to Rice, 74-71. I have some thoughts, but before we get to my thoughts, I want to get to your thoughts. We go to Jeremy. Jeremy, you're on. How are you feeling?
10: Uh, you know, i I could make this long and and drag it on but I'll, I'll make it short since do you feel like we're gonna be stuck in this situation kind of of course it's been different between obviously a big difference between going to from past nerve to penny that there's a big difference there but do you feel like we're stuck in a cycle with the amount of I, I don't I it, would it be money that's being split with football? Yeah. have the funds to get it to where it needs to be, like a Houston, like a, like a UConn? Like, is that where we're kind of stuck? Because that's sort of how I feel. That's, actually, that's, that's it, all I got.
9: Appreciate it, Jeremy. <laughs> I actually think that's an interesting question because one of the biggest factors that we all know about college sports right now is what is your NIL war chest? All you need to know is when coaching jobs come available, the first question that almost all of them have is, what is the NIL situation? Louisville is somewhat facing this same problem. The thing to me that's interesting about Memphis, we don't know exactly. We have a better idea of what football NIL budgets look like, but we don't necessarily know what does it take in basketball. One thing that I do know for certain, transfers are expensive. And Memphis got a lot of them. And whether or not they got the highest of highest paid, because I think it's pretty obvious Hunter Dickinson was probably the most expensive transfer on the market. But beyond that, Memphis got a lot of them including Jaquan Tomlin. And I don't know what the final number ended up being, but I know that there were a lot of bidders for Tomlin at the time in December, and it was a business transaction. So what I would say about Memphis, do I think Memphis is in the top 20, top 25 of schools for NIL? I don't. But I think they're still really, really up there. But I think a big problem that you're seeing right now with the Tigers, they spent a lot on a lot of players. If you go and you look at Kansas, well, Kansas has an interesting dilemma. Kansas's starters are really good. When you watch the Jayhawks play, you're struck by two things. Their starters look like the best team in the country, while their bench looks like a bottom half of the Big 12 team. And you start to see these stark contrasts with them. So the thing with Memphis is, do I think Memphis's NIL is good enough to be a regular tournament team? I 100, 100% believe that. Do I think Memphis' NIL is good enough to compete with the best programs for the highest profile high school recruits? No, but I think they're good enough to get in on a couple of them. I think what we're just seeing right now is Memphis spent very heavily on a lot of transfers that were heavily sought after. And right now it's just not working out. 901-445-0929. 901-445-0929. If you want to join the conversation, we'll go to Michael. Michael, you're on. What's on your mind?
11: Uh, hello? Michael, you're on. What's on your mind, buddy? Um, you know, I just, I, I think this is, as a, as a lifelong Memphis fan, you know, of uh, 21 years, I just think this comes down to the locker room and uh, roster construction. Um, I think this team's talented enough to get the job done, make the tournament, go second weekend, but um and you know, I just think Penny the way Penny recruits these kids, it's a lot of um, you know, dysfunctional stuff like uh bringing back Jordan Brown, um, you know, after he left the team in the middle of the year. Just a lot of things. Um do you wanna do you wanna speak on that? Yeah, I'm I'm curious also though, Michael, because one thing that struck me,
9: how did you feel how have you felt after you've processed the loss?
11: Um I mean, I'm not going to lie, you know, everyone was saying that, or not everyone, but people were telling me that, oh, we'll be fine, we'll be fine, this and that, but yeah. I kind of I kind of felt like this game would be closer than 13 and a half points or wh- whatever the spread was. Um, you know, Rice, I mean, we lost, but it's still embarrassing, we lost a damn carbohydrate, I mean, this is a joke, um, but I don't know. Did That's you find yourself,
9: because the thing that struck me, did you find yourself angry because I don't sense that a lot of people are angry. I sense a lot of people are just
11: bummed. Is that how you feel? Um I I just felt not angry, but I just felt like the you know, my hopes are are just gone yeah. now, but uh yeah, I'm not really angry. It's just kind of you know, I, I just don't really know what to say. It's just sad to see.
9: All right, buddy. I got some notes on the roster, so I, I appreciate the phone call. I've got some notes because Obviously, there's going to be, I thought they're, watching the game, I thought there were key, really three key notes for me during the game. I'll get to post-game in a little bit. I think the first key note for me, the first thing that I, when I'm watching the game with my wife, that I looked to her and said was, wow, the body language looks terrible. And... It was across the board. It was better in the second half. They had much more energy in the second half. But when you watch the body language of Penny, you watch the body language of the five on the floor, the bench, it was just, you could just tell they did not have answers. And that really struck me. Also, early, there was so much conversation about defense, 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 defense. I felt like early, there was a lot of manufactured enthusiasm. And what I would relate it to is, whenever you see like a a sideline in football, where they're down two scores, and they're trying to like come together and hype each other up, you see it sometimes in baseball, where like a dugout will... They're down and they're trying to, you know, pump up the crowd and whatnot. While I didn't see, like, an attempt to, quote-unquote, pump up the crowd, I felt like a lot what they were doing defensively early. I'm talking right when the game started. It felt like it was a lot of look at how hard we're hustling, but it wasn't necessarily, like, it was just kind of running around and it didn't feel very disciplined to me. It was almost like... They were trying to prove, look, we give effort on defense. But I don't really feel like it led to better defensive performances. And then I think the other thing that really struck me is here we are again with another wild card moment of a penny coaching decision. When you put Jonathan Pierre... Into the starting lineup. You are acknowledging. I'm. I'm going against the grain here. We thought there would be lineup shakeups. But not like this. And then further. All you need to know is. Penny told us what he thinks his best lineup is. When they started the second half. Because. The five that are largely thought to be. The best players. Started the second half. And really, I mean, they I, I do think that they played better in the second half. I still don't know if I would go as far as to say they played well. But I also have some notes on transfers that we'll get to in just a minute. But I want to continue with your calls. If you want to call in, you're welcome to do so. 901-445-0929. We go to Sean. Sean, you're on. How you feeling, buddy? Hey, how you guys doing? I love the show, man. Man, appreciate that.
4: Um, me personally, man, I think it's more like, I don't think he should change the starting lineups, keep the guys in there, but I think it's more of getting them hyped up or maybe even mad. I remember stories Shaquille O'Neal used to say he used to make himself mad and make up stories about David Robinson and he'd dominate David Robinson. So I think we should get more mad and, and stop shooting so many threes because that's turnovers too, but that's what I think of. So what do you think?
0: Yeah,
9: I... I don't even necessarily know if it's like get mad or whatnot, like you know, get hype coming out of the locker room. But I think the most important thing that you're touching on is have some pride. Like right. to me, like that's kind of that's that's the idea. It's you know, if you got to hype yourself up to play defense, whatever you got to do, if you got to mentally do it. But I just think that they just look lost to me. Like they don't even know like where guys are going to be on offense. They don't know. If they switch off a defender, if a guy's going to be there to to pick him up, it just feels like they look lost to me. And so, if you want to get angry, that's by all means. At this point, I feel like any idea is a good idea. Sean, we really appreciate the phone call, buddy. Thank you. Let's go
11: to D'Angelo. D'Angelo, you're on. How you doing, my man? Trying a lot. Not that good, man. <laughs> I mean, this 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 is pathetic, man. This is ridiculous. Um, it's just like I mean, like, what the hell is this team doing? Like, is Penny Hardaway like is he coaching the game or is he just is he is he telling him is he getting his D two transfer, Johnson, Pierre, is he is he gonna play him? I mean what the hell is he doing with this lineup? I don't know. Appreciate the phone call, buddy. I mean, I think I think it's the classic
9: he's kinda telling you without telling you that he's willing to try any and everything. I would argue at this point in time, when you know it's this deep into the season, normally when you switch quarterbacks with a healthy, a healthy starter and you decide to go to the other quarterback, it's because you're losing games and you're either trying to get a spark, you're trying to turn the page. Well, last night, despite the fact they're on a three-game losing streak, it's... It's not like the season's over and you're turning to a new guy or whatnot. And then you put in someone that has essentially not played all year. I mean, to me, the only other time I could think of anything like this was when Taylor Jenkins put in Xavier Tillman for Steven Adams in the playoff series. But at least with Adams, there's an argument that he wasn't healthy and it gave you a spark initially, but it just didn't work out. Let's go to
8: Seth. Seth, you're on. How you feeling, buddy? Hey, guys. Hey, so, I mean, I could be wrong by saying this, but here's, here's how it looks for me. You know, ever since Penny's taken over, I think he's done a great job, but it, we just look like a high school basketball team out there. We look like we're just throwing the ball around. We don't know we have any plays drawn up at all. And, you know, maybe it's, you know, at the beginning of the year, we had all the big wins, and maybe Penny saw that, you know, or maybe knew it was happening with all the stuff, and he's like, you know, what, I'm just going to let it go. We're winning games. But, you know, now it, it's just it's to the point, we, we just don't look like a basketball team. Plus, you know, back in the old days when Cal Perry was here, you did something wrong. You know, he would get on to you. I mean, it was, it's like Penny's just too much of a friend to him. He's got to, I guess he's got to get into a little bit more of them, or maybe they're,
10: you know, he's not getting control of the players or what, but it just looks like we're just throwing the ball around and not having any type of chemistry as a team.
9: Appreciate the phone call, Seth. Yeah, on that matter, listen, I think oftentimes whether or not, a a coach is a good X and O's coach, I think that oftentimes gets wildly overblown. Was Roy Williams an absolute stud on the grease board? Probably not. Coach K? Not exactly, like, thought of as a revolutionary in terms of scheme. Cal, the same way. I mean, how many years did you have to listen to Oh, Cal can get the players, but, you know, can't coach. Not a good bench coach. Not a good bench coach. The key difference with all three of those guys is there's an acknowledgement that I've got to start with something. And most of them all started on the defensive end, which is what Penny's done almost every single year. And then you trust that you've got enough good players that the offense will figure itself out. That's kind of been a proven formula for what we see in college basketball. But the problem that you're watching last night, it's like, I don't even want to say like, it looks like high school basketball. I've seen lots of high schools that are more organized. It literally looks like a team that is playing together for the first time. They don't know where anyone's going to be on either side of the floor. They're throwing the ball around. They're turning it over at an alarming rate. They look like they've never played together. And I don't even think it's necessarily bad scheme. Like if you look at what they're trying to do, they're doing the same thing that everybody else would do. It's just from a from an organization standpoint. But when you're going up against a zone and you have no idea where the guy's going to be and you throw it three rows into the stands, it just looks like they've never played together to me. Let's go to Ray. Ray, you're on. How are you feeling, man? Good,
0: man. I'm good. champion great. Know hi. My friend. Good. Who, do. I'm doing well, my man. Well, I'm, I, I'm hurting for my, my friends, but, yes, you know, I'm yes, doing yes. well. I, I watched that game, you know. And it, the team, I watched, UAB, I watched their uh, uh Tulane. All these other teams, they played, they win. they were doing well. They're making Penny look bad, man. He don't like to lose, you know. It would remind me of the Memphis Grizzlies. When the Grids start losing games, then they start pick up some more pieces. Then they start bouncing up. Then they go back down. I remember, maybe used to do good, you know. And then I'm sitting up in the, in the kitchen, watching the game on 989, the Roar of Memphis, and they're throwing the ball up in the backboard. All oh, you're doing, throwing bricks. And then you get the ball, then you turn it over, and then Mr. David Jones go for a three-pointer. That a rail car was a foul on this other guy, and he didn't see him bump David Jones. He was going for uh, the slam dunk. He missed about a foot. And this guy did now rice. I got to take my eye off of rice. Rice was hitting on Three that the end of, like they didn't have a before. They are the bomb of the, the list. They only hit 15 threes in that game. And that's why they win the game. Now Memphis got another game Saturday morning. And they want to get out of this hole. Because if you don't, you're not, look, look, Jeffrey. Mark Memphis is round the corner. And I don't think they ain't going to make you keep on losing like this. You making that hole, just like I said earlier, you remind me of the Memphis Grizzlies. You making that hole get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And bigger. You're losing game, man. If them girls got your mind all hyped up, you can't put the ball in the hole. Then you come out in the second half. You're doing well. You have to lead. Uh, seven sixty five to sixty two. Then let the lease rip out. Yep. You know, and they was seven to four, seven to one. Now look, never gonna have to get the man off them girls, get the <laughs> head out them rock. I can't put on Penny Holloway. He's doing the best he can. trying to get these guys fired up. That is wrong with them. Damn fired up, you know. Did you see if I was just call, Hey, boys. We got to do better than this. We let ourselves down. I heard one day in the fans say, oh, no, why didn't you turn the ball over? Why didn't you foul this guy? And they were angry at the fast points in the seat. Why not you throw the ball in the row to the front wall to the second stand to the expensive seat. You know, your, your guy right there is reaching for the ball, and you run it. And you're going to take off. Then the ball go out of bounds. then somebody get to buy a couple of threes on you. Beat with your own backyard, the same way it did South Florida. I watched it, Jeffrey. We're gonna have to do better.
9: Gonna have to do better. Ray, appreciate the phone call, my man. Oh, man. I mean, I do think right now we're in a position where this season's going one of three ways. If you want to take the optimistic point of view, the reality is when you look at the rest of the league. They still have a roster that's good enough to beat everyone on the roster. They could this could be the low point, the moment in time in which they realize things have to change. I we've heard that before. From what we're seeing, why would we think it's going to go that that way? The second option is they just kind of putter along and maybe go six and four the rest of the way and kind of miss the tournament with a whimper or You know, go out maybe in the semifinals. Kind of, you know, honestly feeling like a a tubby team, you know, that would make it to Saturday of the conference tournament before losing. And then the third option, and I think this is very much on the board, this thing could absolutely crater. Let's go to Timothy. Timothy, you're on. How you feeling, man? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well, my man.
4: How you feeling? All right, I'm good. I just wanted to hit on a couple things. I haven't missed a Tiger game this year. Um, I'll say this. We keep blaming players, and that's all I hear out of Penny. Um, I've coached for years, and people got to stop comparing them to a high school team because I have not seen a high school team. No, no, no I, I, I
9: was with you. Court. It looked like a team that's never played basketball. I've i seen plenty yeah, of high school basketball so, games that have more, so, like, more organization. When I coach, there's a lot of times during the game
4: that within 60 seconds, I've changed my whole game plan I've been practicing and thinking about all week. And with five-out offense against a 2-3 zone last night, and then that's when Young threw the ball into the stands. One of the problems with that offense when you're playing a zone, if you're not cutting hard to the basket and cutting with a purpose, you're not going to get open. That's that's a very bad offense to run against a zone, and and we've done it consistently this year. I'm not understanding it unless we were just a very good shooting team. I don't understand running that, and then it's the defense. I mean, it all starts with defense. If your defense is bad, your offense is going to be bad. And all year long, we keep running this press and this trap. And, and we don't have Alex Lomax. We don't have DeAndre Williams. We don't have the athletes to run a full court press the full game anymore. We don't. Well, even you know, like, you know, to, to your point,
9: or- one of the guys that I think is honestly, like I know he had the, the missed dunk and that was just like a classic Malco moment. But <laughs> Malco's <laughs> playing his ass off this year. But you see when it's pressing, oh, yeah. like he's getting gassed. And you've got to have him on the, the floor. Thing- You want to keep him on the court as much as possible. To me, he's our best overall
4: player this year, hands down. I agree. He is doing everything. And my thing is, if we would just simplify the defense, when he's on the offensive end, he's working. When he's on the defensive end, put him down there on a block, let him him play a little bit of zone, keep him around. His rebounding will go up. I'll tell you this. I got really mad against South Florida because I look up and I see Jordan and Tomlin going on the court at the end, and Dandridge is on the bench. He's our best rim protector All they needed was two. They're not taking a long-distance shot there. They're going to the rim. Our best rim protector is sitting on the bench. I think Penny said in the postgame, yeah, I probably shouldn't have had Tomlin in. You shouldn't be having to admit that. I mean, Dandridge has proven this year he's our best player, and we are consistently running him and gassing him out. As a coach, sometimes you've got to sit back. Like that lineup last night, we didn't have a point guard on the court to start the game. Wilson, it's Jones it, it was it was truly it was get.
9: I couldn't believe what I was watching.
4: It, it, it I mean when when Jones and Walton are out there, they are guys that they need the ball in their hand to create for themselves. They are not looking to pass. And and look, everyone gets mad at Jones. I don't because he creates our offense. Now sometimes he overdoes it because I think he feels like they're not, they're not doing this. I need to do more. And I think he I think he feels that pressure sometimes. Of, I've got to run this offense for us to win. And I think he felt that last night, and that's why he started trying to take over. And, and I feel for him, because when you got Quinterly and Walton shooting 20% from me, are you really going to kick out to them, or are you going to take your chances going up looking for the foul? So I, I'm not really hard on Jones there, because until someone proves they're going to consistently step up and hit those shots and help him, I can't be mad at him for trying to take over. And that's my biggest thing there is, I mean, without Jones, I truly feel like we have 10 losses right now. And as far as the team goes with Penny, I think Penny really needs to sit back. And instead of saying that, and I get it, and I will say the player's problem, that comes from NIL, it comes from the collective, it comes from getting paid. You don't have the same mindset anymore. These kids are telling their parents to basically screw off they're not going to listen to their coaches the way they would have 10 years ago. So it is very hard to coach these up-and-coming kids. I'll say from experience, it's harder to coach nowadays. It truly is. I don't think you're going to see coaches last as long. Because of how hard it is to coach, there's no obligations anymore. It's not, hey, what can I do for your team? It's what can your team do for me? That's how players look at it. So- but from Penny's perspective, I think he needs to sit back and say, look, what I've been doing all year, So let's face it, it ain't just these four games. We've had... In January, we only had one game that we convincingly won against a team we should have. I mean, in all those games, we're 15, 16 point favorites. We're having, you know, we're having to go to overtime. And at the end, I think he needs to sit back and say, what I'm doing defensively isn't working. We keep getting beat on. By, I mean, Jordan, I like Jordan. Defensively, he loses his assignment and gets burned so much at the end of games. It, it's truly killing us, I think, more than people realize. Last night, he's on a guard at the end. He had to give the guy space because if he don't, that guard's taking him to the hole. He's not keeping up. He's going to be going from behind. He's going to probably draw a foul or get an easy layup. There's nothing he can really do because of the defense we're running. Malcolm, Tomlin, and Dandridge running that press is bad news. We've got to simplify the defense. Back off, play a little bit of half court, maybe even run a box one, let the guard get picked up. But if you've noticed the last four games, last thing I really want to say about defense, you will see the other team's big coming out to the perimeter and getting the ball because they want to draw us out. Yep. Because they back know door we're going to lose an assignment, and then their bigs are going back door, their guards are going back door. The reason they're bringing their bigs out is because they're watching tape and they're seeing with this defense, we got them. And Penny's like, they got to learn, they got to learn, they got to learn. Man, we're in February. Right now, you better learn to change something up or you're about to have an embarrassing end of your season. And I think everybody in Memphis can say, we need to be successful. But at this point, he's starting to look very stubborn and like he don't want to listen to anybody. Because i seen last night defeat in his eyes, and i seen at the beginning of the year where Stansberry used to be standing up and talking. Yeah. And I, he, he's sitting on the bench. Even Stansberry's sitting on the bench and just looking like he's at a loss. Like it, it looks like they're at a loss. And at that point, I'm going to say this. I've coached teenagers that I've got into it with parents and with the kids, and you can't be friends with every kid that leaves your program. Somebody's going to leave and not like you. And at this point, Penny better get in someone's butt and, hey, do it in front of the fans. Let the fans know this is your team. You control it. He's got to actually show some fire himself, or he will not get fire out of his players. Maybe take a tank, Do something. He's got to show something to say, hey, this is my team. I'm not putting up with this. You're going to do what I say. He's got to show something himself because he's way too laid back with this team.
9: Timothy, we appreciate it, buddy. Uh, thank you. All right, we'll take two more on this, and we got to take a break and get to Eric. Let's go to – David's been hanging on the line for a while. David, what's on your mind?
6: Hey, uh, yeah, I just want to talk – I just want to say um, that, you know, with this Memphis team, it just – it seems that, you know, they're just not motivated to play against these, you know, just – let's just say it like inferior teams. You know, like we, we play that Clemson game, we're motivated – Um, But, you know, when we play teams like Rice, you know, it seems like everybody, you know, just like, oh, like, we're Memphis. Like, we're playing Rice. Like, who even is Rice? Like, no one cares about Rice. We can easily beat these guys. And then, you know, when – but to to Rice, though, that's a huge game for them because they're like, wow, like, we could really, like, beat a notable team uh, in the NCAA. Or really, just it doesn't matter that we're in, you know, the AAC. We're still a notable team within, like, you know – the whole NCAA, like, they're thinking this is a big game for them. So when we take things lightly like that, you know, things can really spiral out of control, like, as you can see, like, you know, we've lost four straight um, to, you know, teams that we should have beaten. Um, I, I, we should be undefeated in, in the conference play right now. And it's I don't think it's really anything with the team. You know, obviously every team is going to have its weaknesses and strengths. But, I mean, I just think that, to be honest, like, we're just we're not if we're we're not motivated to play right now and, and against these uh, teams that are quote unquote you know inferior teams but you know they're coming out with motivation wanting to beat us and they're doing it and it's embarrassing because they shouldn't be but but you know it's just a mental thing I really think you know um, we got all the physical tools I think people just you know I mean I think our team just really gets up because I mean I feel like Memphis you know we got that. Because uh, well, Memphis is an underdog. You know, we play teams that are ranked kind of in the early season because we were kind of still on the up and up. We we weren't ranked. You know, we're trying to get ranked, and we were like, all right, like you know, we're gonna we're gonna really give it to you guys. Like we're gonna we're gonna really play hard, and we're gonna really be motivated because I think Memphis has that underdog mentality, kind of like our city. I mean, I just feel like that's the vibe. And so when we do that, and we get up for games, we can beat anybody. But when we get there, it's like we all just like say, like, oh, we're here. We're Memphis. We're the best. I guess it doesn't matter. And we stopped showing up for games. And that's unfortunately is what's happening right here. And and it sucks because, you know, we should be still ranked top ten, but we're not. And uh, the thing is that, man, like, for us, really, it's just a mental thing. Like, we've got to get back on our grind, and we've got to – if we want to salvage this season, um, we have got to get back on our grind and get back to our head straight and play the way we were playing at the beginning of the season. And uh, if we do that, then – I think we have a chance to make the tournament. Um, but, yeah, we got to stop underestimating our opponent. we got to respect our opponent.
9: Appreciate it, the phone call, David. I do think David touches on something. And it is almost like this team might have to manipulate themselves into motivation. For a while, it was either playing the big programs, the, the big moments. They rose to the occasion. Then it was, we want to be ranked. And they showed up now it's almost like now they've just gotten into, it was almost like once they got through conf- non-con play they got to conference play and there's just not been a whole lot of motivation we'll take one more on this and then we'll take a break brett you're on how you feeling
10: man we need a little double m motivation manipulation man i really yeah. think yeah. i think you're on to something i can't imagine dude let's talk about something that you're interested in if i would have placed a single dollar on Tigers to lose these four games in a row considering that we were a fourteen and a half point favorite last night. I mean, are you kidding me? Who's the kid here? Oh,
9: I don't even know if like, you could most most books you probably couldn't even got in the money line. If you wanted yeah. the you know what I mean? They they just don't See, offer that yeah. because the the exposure.
10: But yes. Exactly, dude. I mean, if we can't put the ball in the hole, just start off by playing some defense, man. Where's the effort, dude? I mean, I'm, I'm glad that people are calling in and it seems like these last few callers are really adamant, man, and we're trying to get something going, man. But dude, like... Where, I mean, we, we uh, it's just falling off the rails and, and the Tigers got to get with it, man. But I feel like as a fan base, it's just, oh, everybody's, oh, I don't care. I mean, it is what it is. Like, yeah, like you, like you were asking the question earlier a while ago. Yeah, fans should be angry, man. They should, they should just be pissed off. Uh, I'm going to be at the game this Saturday, Wichita State. Uh, I think a lot of people are forgetting that we're playing again in two days. And I'm, I'm really hope, I, you know, the marketing should, should get on this, man. Like, make it a wide out, man. Penny's got to get into these guys. I mean, do the players just not care? Is it all about the money and, oh, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play overseas next year or I'm going to try to make it into the third round of the NBA? Like, like what are we doing here, dude? I mean, Tulane, all these three losses were about three points. And three of those games, we were favored by probably at least 10, 12, 15 points. We were such a big favorite on the money line. Yeah, you couldn't even bet it. I, it's it's despicable, dude. I'd like to see Dandridge get more time, getting more rebounds. And it, it shouldn't, man, if he can't put the ball in the hole, that's one thing, dude. But, like, get the fans something to cheer about and get excited about to where they can stand up and get, man, like, when I played basketball, dude, I loved it, man, when, like, uh, it, it, the church crowd or whoever at the uh, at the JCC or at some church league, they get all hyped up, or my friends. I mean, dude, I, how do you not get hyped up when everybody's cheering you on? But, dude, you've got to give the fans something to, to – you've got to give them a reason to cheer you on, And And you would think that the defense would lead to fast breaks and rebounding and just more offense on that end, dude. But, yeah – Penny's got to get this right as far as the chemistry is concerned. These chemistry lineups, man, it's just not working. But you've got to get Dandridge in there for sure, man. These rebounding, you've got to get the defense going. You can't give up 75, 80 points to all these teams, man. Watch Mississippi State, man. If I'm, if I'm Penny, watch the way Mississippi State played against uh, their defense against Ole Miss about three or four nights ago, and they almost pulled that victory off, man. Or they did. I no, no, Ole, Ole Miss, but they played at Auburn. They, they guarded their ass off. Yeah, yeah. And, and Ole Miss was, was pretty solid, too. I mean, they just made everything.
9: Right? That became a situation where you were just making shots. Brent, we appreciate but buddy. Got to let Pre- you go. Appreciate the phone calls. All right, we're working through it. I've got a stat on transfers. We'll save that for the list. When we come back, let's talk some Marcus Let's talk some Grizzlies. Eric Aston ha- joins the program next, right here on Jane Otto and Jeffrey, 929FM. Nine yes.
0: Call from mom. Answer it. Call
1: silenced.
3: There's joy in every journey. Yeah.
2: Giannato and Jeffrey broadcast live from the Red River Toyota Studios. Check out Red River Toyota in Wynn, Arkansas. This hour of G&J is brought to you by the Next Generation 10G Network, only from Xfinity. The Giannato and Jeffrey Show on 92.9 FM ESPN.
9: Our old friend Jamie Bickerstaff brings his Cleveland Cavaliers to FedEx Forum tonight. Pre-game will start at 6.30. Eric Halstein will have the call at 7 p.m. We'll get your thoughts on that. But we get the news today, April 6th, against the 76ers. The Grizzlies are going to retire the jersey of Mark Gasol. We obviously knew this was happening, but we didn't know the official date, uh, Eric. I guess really, though, when I – what I'm curious to know is when you when you think about Mark Gasol, what all comes to mind?
8: Oh, um, well, I remember the initial press conference and remember what he was in high school, having seen him around the arena a bunch uh, coming to Powell's games. And then when he walked in, actually, I remember going into the, the lobby and he, he was going through a workout before he came into his press conference. I was like, okay. Then he walked out. I was like, "Whoa, transformation!" Somebody. Yeah, grew he up did not look. He did not look like the same no. person. No, and um, you know, admittedly, over the years we we discussed that with him, uh, and he said when he got here to America to be with Powell and for the family to be here and, and begin his NBA career, that he got into some terrible eating habits and just, you know, as, as he put it, he got lazy. He, he just you know the game was kind of easy for him because of his size and show he wasn't putting in the effort and when he went back to Spain instead of playing uh college basketball in America which remember everybody wanted him to stay and play in Memphis and play for Cal and Cal was like dude, this guy he's he's not in good shape i can't i can't use him and he so said he, he said he'd went, take him as a basically as a walk on so that
9: he could walk-on. like get him get his body in shape and then they would they would re- reassess
8: well he surely did that didn't he mm-hmm. um And then, uh, you know, so even after that initial transformation, I remember him coming back one summer, and I saw him, and I was like, "Uh uh-oh, the the league's in for a problem because this dude just trimmed about 10 to 15 pounds but also got a lot stronger. Um, You could see the skill set. I I had a conversation once with Chris Wallace, and I want to recall it as best I can, but the, the way I took it was that Chris you know, knowing that Powell was, you know, they were going to trade him, Chris asked Powell about Mark and said, Is he, do you think he's ready to play in the NBA? And Powell said, he's ready. He, he's, he's, he's going to be a good player in this league, a very good player, um, that he's got everything he needs. He just needs an opportunity. And so when he came over, remember, that was the year they had Darko Milicic signed, and, and you had two guys. And um, I, I'm not trying to bash Mark Averoni in this, you know, statement. But when I talked to Mark about his career and his rookie year, he said, my rookie year began when Lionel Hollins became the head coach Yeah, that he just didn't like Mark. Wasn't, you know, Iveroni wasn't utilizing him, whatever it may be, whatever he had his reasons for. I understand that. So a lot of guys that felt that way. I, I, nothing personal against Mark Ivoroni. He just wasn't a very good head coach, solid assistant coach, just didn't transform to a good head coach. And hence why he was gone in a year and a half. Um, nice guy, just now nobody even knows where he is. Um, So I remember that. I I remember the cerebral way he played the game, the interviews, the way he thought of his answers, the way he just consumed the game. I remember him going from kind of a young, energetic, you know, going out like more of an outgoing young 20s to he got married, he had a family, and he was very quiet and, and just reserved and Um, you know, he didn't love doing interviews. He didn't love talking about himself, but he was always gracious with me. You know, we do those things that we've been doing for years now, which we call grizz files, where we just want to sit down and talk with a guy for like 10, 15 minutes, get to know them because you can only ask a player so many times, what's it like to guard Joel Embiid? Well, it's hard. It's hard to guard Giannis. It's hard to guard Kobe, whoever they're playing, whatever it may have been. What's it like to play against your brother? And, I think the one thing that always caught my attention was he handled that well because everybody always wanted to connect the two, and that's natural. But he would even say, you know, look, I I love my brother. Pow's my brother. I'm going to love him for the rest of my life. But I'm my own man. I'm my own player. I don't. I'm not trying to be pow. I'm not. Powell's not. You know, pow's not the way I, I. He plays a different style than I do. Um, and it's always a thrill when I get to play against him. And it's always fun to play alongside him for the Spanish national team. So, um, you know, those were the things I took away from it. The laughs, um, the way it ended, I thought he handled it as well as he could. You know, I, I'll never forget the tweet and whatever it's called now, the X, whatever you want to say. Yeah, whatever. When we were all in Oklahoma City. He didn't make the trip. And the tweet was, meanwhile, back at the house as the deadline approached, and he put the, the gif or the gif or whatever you call it of Freddie Mercury warming up. And I'm just yeah. like, that's so Mark. And in the meantime, I'm looking at his best friend, Mike Conley, going through, I mean, I'm just going to say he was going through hell that day. Remember he hadn't it
9: slept? Was, like, remember, he, I remember him talking. I was like, man, I didn't sleep the last day. He looked horrible. Mike? Yeah, remember, like, remember, like, in yeah, no, Utah, he, like, it was like, he was like, I haven't he, slept. because we didn't." In, yeah,
8: We were in Oklahoma City. Yeah. Okay. we went to shoot. We went to shoot around that morning, and you know I had a great relationship with both of them, and looked at Mike and I said, "Hey, if this is the last time I see you for a while, thanks for everything. I, I wish you all the best. Hope you and Mary and the kids land somewhere where you're where you're happy. You know, I, I couldn't. I, I can't be. I can't thank you enough for how gracious you've been. And I, I'd never seen that look on his face before, and I knew that was bothering Mark too. And you know who we have to thank for Mike being here as long as he was? Mark Gasol. Yeah. They were going to trade Mike Conley, and Mark Gasol went into the offices and said, That's not the guy you want to trade. That's a guy we can win with. They were going to trade Mike Conley for Ramon Sessions, and Mark Gasol basically said, Don't do that. Not because of the anything against Ramon Sessions. He knew the type of player Mike was. And so there's a lot of things we can attribute to him. I, you know, I was listening to you yesterday, and I was listening to Cobb, and, you know, David was around a lot of that, and it was great, and we used to have a lot of laughs. But there was just a couple things that I, I'm glad I got a chance to clarify. They didn't draft Hashim beat because they felt like they didn't believe in Mark. There was a couple of fears. One, Mark was co- coming up on free agency, and there was a lot of speculation that Mark was going to go play with Powell. I mean, it was rampant. And to the point where, at some point, there's where there's smoke, there's fire, and everybody's thinking we're, we're just, he's going to walk, he's not staying. Um, the other factor was that Oklahoma City was drafting right behind the Grizzlies, and both of them had this young core. And the prevailing thought in the front office was, if they get a big that is a game-changing big, they're going to pass us. We don't know if our big's going to stay. We need to be prepared. Seven foot three inch guys with thirty four inch vertical leaps don't just come around every day. What you didn't realize was that Hashim Thabit didn't seem to love to play basketball. He did it because he was seven foot three and had a thirty four inch vertical leap, and that's how you know he made money. Um, and so, and, and the a- owner watched his college games. The owner saw him kill Georgetown twice. What he failed to see was Dewan Blair in, at Pittsburgh kill him a couple times, mm. bend him over his back, uh, which I remember our old buddy Chris Vernon talked about ad nauseum, and he was right. And I looked, I liked Hashim, but that was the fear. It wasn't a, a lack of belief in Mark. They just knew if, if Mark left, there was going to be a gaping hole because Darko Milicic had gone away. And I think the greatest compliment I ever heard of Mark was Zach Randolph. And I asked him, I said, am I crazy or does he kind of remind you, because you played with him at the tail end of his career, he reminded me of Arvidas Sabonis, who at one point was considered the best player in the world, including Michael Jordan. But Russian players weren't allowed to come to America. And he goes, that's crazy you say that. And I said, why? He goes, because I I don't know that anybody knows. I call him Little Sabo. And I go, what? He goes, I call him Little Sabo. He reminds me so much of him, the way he thinks, the way he moves the basketball. He's obviously younger, but they're so similar. And to compare him to that guy, that's when I knew Zach and Mark had a special bond. And, you know, walking through all that stuff and the game-winning shot in L.A. where he did the million-dollar strut and the fadeaway in the playoffs, and the, you know, the that's all great. When you watch Zach Randolph's face when Marcus Gasol surprised him, before his retirement ceremony at the Rock and Soul Museum, which I was hosting. And I knew Mark was there, and very few people did. And I, I just kind of said, hey, something isn't here, and it should be. And Mark walked through the door, and Zach teared up. Zach, I, I'd never seen him in my life. And that relationship put an exclamation point to me on how special that group was. I mean, you had the consummate professional, Mike Conley, who just would take any any criticism, whatever he had. You had the ultimate blue-collar, so talented but so tough player that had a bad rap that rewrote his whole story in Zach Randolph. You had your he's crazy, but he's our crazy wild man, Tony Allen, and then you had the guy that kind of brought them all together, and that was Mark All because of the way he thought and played the game. And, look, there were times I love Mark to death. There were times he'd even tell you he'd get moody, he'd get frustrated, he always wanted to get better, and sometimes maybe went a long way with that or maybe too far and didn't enjoy the moment as much as he could have, but at the end he did. And seeing him and, and talking to him since uh, at that retirement ceremony and a couple times we've run into him, um, I couldn't be happier for him. We we all knew this day would come. We all knew it was going to come this year when he decided. But out of respect, I think the organization did the right thing, letting him finish out what he was doing overseas. And um, it's going to be a very special night in April in a season that's had a lot of uh, a lot of not special nights and 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 hard things to deal with. But um, the 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 way the guys are playing, I think that would make Mark proud because they're not going out there and just assuming it's not going to work. And, and that's the way he was.
9: Harrington even mentioned this because you, know, you, you talk about like what that team meant to him. Harrington, I think, got this confirmed that in Mark's championship ring that he got in Toronto, you know how you can get him engraved in, inside? His yeah. is engraved with grit and grind.
8: I love it. I, I did hear that. and I was happy for him. I, I actually was fortunate enough to be at Game 6 and talk to uh, the Raptors head athletic trainer, who was our trainer for a while, Scotty McCullough, and told him, because it was Mark and Kyle, and I had a good relationship with Kyle Lowry as well. Yeah. And uh, um, seeing the joy on his face and then, you know, get, relaying the message and him telling, you know, asking me to pass along to everybody in Memphis how much, you know, he, he's not there without them and how much he appreciated it was, was, was awesome.
5: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue.